uh, you know, when you're younger, uh, certainly with, in my case, when I was younger, I was, I was under a lot of pressure because, you know, I didn't know what I would possibly do in my life if this there didn't work out. You know, I knew I wasn't cut out to work in an office or to have a, have a boss and all of this stuff because I was just really, you know, had a tough time with, with the idea of like doing the repetitive tasks and being, you know, yelled at by somebody, right? So I just knew that that was not going to work for me. So it was kind of like a, a life and death kind of thing. You know, like I got to make this comedy thing work or like, mm. I'm, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do for the rest of my life, right? Welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, Thank you for having me. We've got uh, a comedic legend, a Canadian legend uh, on with us, Mr. Tom Green. And uh, hey guys, we're excited how to are have you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. This is awesome. Very cool. This is a real treat, Tom. I um, I mentioned this to you via email very briefly um, when we were connecting in advance of doing this. But I, I mean, I grew up, and I know Greg is probably in the same boat. But I grew up a huge, huge fan of your um, all of your different work, and you know, I felt like um, it kind of hit me at the right time in my life. And I don't know whether you've heard this from a lot of people over the course of your career, but like, you know, I was sort of a kid that. I didn't quite fit into, you know, one bucket or another for, for most of my life. Like I just, I kind of came from different backgrounds and mixed race household and didn't really know like where I fit in perfectly growing up. And I always just felt like um, laughing and comedy was uh, an escape and like a way that I was able to connect with people. And a lot of your early work, like your songs, some of your movies, your show, um, it really brought together like a cool community of friends when I was growing up and young. And so I feel personally very grateful to you um, for a lot of what you put out into the world uh, in, uh, you know, during your career. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it was a, it was a weird show. You were a weird kid. <laughs> I'm a weird guy. We, uh, we celebrate weirdness. Uh, the pleasure is all mine. It's a treat for me to be here as well, too. But this is a real treat as well for me. I, I'm, I'm enjoying this. This is fun. It's cool to meet you guys. You know, I, we, we met through a mutual friend. And I uh, appreciate uh, you having me on the show to talk about, you know, stuff. What are we talking about? Yeah. Well, what, what is it that we're talking about? Today? Well, it's an extra yeah. treat for us to have you because, you know, we've got thousands of listeners who are entrepreneurs, who are builders, investors. And we don't often have... Uh, you know, I call you a person from the arts because uh, I think you do you do more than comedy. And you know, uh, we've been following your career, and one thing that's I mean, here's what I want to cover. There's two things I want to cover today. The first thing I want to cover is authenticity and how it seems to be that you've just kind of done your own thing and been really authentic and attracted people who've like Sahil and myself who who've connected with that. And the second thing I want to dive into is uh, your, your move from, from Hollywood to Canada and, and why you did it. Sure. Um, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so maybe we can start with, I mean, uh, yeah, maybe we can start with, ask me know, like a specific question. Yeah. Yeah. Let's start with, what, what, what do you think? Have you, have you always been weird, Tom? I mean, what do you think? uh yeah i think so i think so i mean i think everybody's weird everybody's weird in their own way and uh you know you've got to channel uh channel that into uh you know when we're young we're figuring out who we are i was always kind of a class clown i guess you would call it a goofy kid but um 
you know, I, I think like when you talk about authenticity, I, I, I presume you're talking about with the Tom Green show and the internet and the way we sort of present ourselves on social media. I, I think, you know, I was growing up in a time where, you know, before video cameras, there really wasn't a lot of pure authenticity on television. It was hard to get that because, you know, to make television, there's so many cameras involved and lights and budgets and huge crews. So, you know, when you're making Gilligan's Island, right, it's hard for it to be completely authentic. People are playing characters and not really playing themselves, you know. Um, and so when video cameras came along and all of a sudden you could go film your actual life and do real stuff and and do it with a small crew or no crew and, and do it with zero budget and no outside corporate influences or rules, that's when I think that, uh, you know, TV started to change. and. That was the beginning of reality TV. Was what was my show was doing was running into my parents' house with a video camera and pulling pranks on them uh, before anyone had done that kind of thing. And um, and now we've got we've got social media and the internet where everybody's got a camera in their pocket and uh, people are you know it's just normal to be authentic I think on camera now. But it's still not not an instant thing. You know as soon as you, as soon as you put a camera on yourself and start talking to an audience, you do take on certain affectations, you do take on certain, uh, you know, a certain persona. And so, you know, trying to figure out exactly how you want to present yourself is still kind of a, a tricky thing, I think. It did, it, you know, it strikes me that like over time, um, the way you laid that out makes a lot of sense to me that like over time, authenticity of um, creation has sort of expanded. Like in the early days of television and movie, it was like, everything was perfect. You had these like perfect lives, beautiful people, uh, you know, like you'd create a fake storyline around some conflict so that it could get solved and everything would be bright and perfect again. And, uh, you know, if your life didn't feel that way in, in your own life, uh, you didn't, it didn't click, right? Like you didn't feel this sort of connection or community around that type of work. And then, you know, I think you, I think like jackass, I think some of the other like, um, early days of almost this, like, kind of feeling of like misfits coming together. Um, you know, you, you called it being weird, but like whatever it was, um, you know, you felt this level of connection because it felt authentic and it was real and it wasn't perfect. It wasn't this like perfectly filmed, beautiful settings, et cetera. It felt very raw and real. And now over time, I think that has continued to expand to now like, you know, TikTokers, Instagram, YouTubers um, who present something very authentic and real and are able to, you know, amass these big followings and build these really neat communities around that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, the, the audience is much more media literate now than they were 20 years ago. So, you know, it's, it's harder for people to suspend disbelief when they're watching, you know, imperfectly executed acting and imperfectly executed scripted shows. Now, there's so much great scripted stuff on TV now, and there's such incredibly brilliant scripted stuff out there that, that, that that's good enough for, for people today. But you know, I don't think that you can kind of get away with sort of a half-assed scripted show anymore and expect people to watch because everyone's making their own videos now or or has a friend who is or has even tried to do it themselves and they kind of understand a little bit more of the technology and what's involved. So, you know, you think about like the early days of film when they would there, you know, they, they would film a train coming towards the camera and everyone in the movie theater would get up and run because they thought there was a train going to hit them. You know, like that's how, how people just didn't know how to, to, to process what they were looking at. Whereas, you know, now um, 
you know, now now it's like we've seen, you know, the Real Housewives of, uh, mm. of Beverly Hills screaming at each other on TV. We've seen so much real drama, real, or whether that's real or not, you may make your own mind up, but real people without a script, you know, expressing themselves. Um, you know, sometimes it's a little bit harder to believe some of the, some of the traditional ways of when we make TV in a traditional way, it comes off a little forced sometimes, right? And people are hip to that. They're savvy to that. So, so it's an, it's an, it's a really exciting time. Actually, I think it, it continues to be an exciting time. One of the things that I've observed is there's a certain amount of pressure for creators, entertainers, or, or frankly, anyone on the internet to mimic how other people are creating content. And one of the things I noticed about you is it, it, it never feels like you're kind of looking at other folks and being like, hey, this is what's working on TikTok. This is what's working on TV. This is what's working in comedy. This is what's working on music. I'm going to go do that. Is that something that you consciously think about? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I do for sure. I mean, I, I, I get bored easily. I don't really like when i watch television or when i watch the internet and i see these new formats and these new things happen right it's it is funny to see how it becomes very sort of uh formulaic and then everybody copies and repeats and copies and repeats and um it, it goes in cycles and i usually attribute a lot of my uh, thought process creatively to the changing technology. When a new technology comes out, I like to be the first person to use it. So then maybe I'll be doing something creatively with a new piece of technology that nobody's really started using yet. And then therefore I'll create something different and maybe stand out um, from the pack of, of things that are out there with people using maybe just a slightly older piece of technology, you know? Um, and then sometimes that catches on and then everybody starts doing that. And then that becomes more, more of the standard. And then, then a new technology comes up. Like when I started when I, my first foray into show business outside of stand-up comedy, I'd started doing stand-up comedy when I was 16 years old in Canada and, uh, you know, most traditional form of comedy, you know, vaudevillian type of comedy. I'd get up on stage, I'd have a microphone. This was the technology, the microphone, right? But then uh, rap music started becoming popular. I really got into rap music, the Beastie Boys, Run DMC, Public Enemy, all of these incredible, you know, 80s rap groups. And I was really early on excited about that, interested in that. And I think you'll find this interesting, actually, because uh, it's a computer thing. You guys are computer guys, right? You're computer guys. Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. Um, we, so I grew up in Ottawa, Canada. And my dad was in the military, but when he stopped working in active service in the military, he continued working for the Canadian Department of National Defense doing uh, COBOL programming, computer programming. And so he would take me down to the, the office there and you know, you'd know you see the giant computers with the tapes wheeling and he was explaining how they're putting the cards in, the COBOL cards. And you know, this is like early days, you know, no one had a computer at home yet. I'm looking at these computers. And then Ottawa got a, uh, a thing called, we had the internet basically in Ottawa in the early 1980s before anybody had the internet. It wasn't, 
called the internet. It was called the NABU network. And if you Google the NABU network, N-A-B-U, it was mm -hmm. a local company in Ottawa and they would deliver video games and chats and all the stuff through your uh, cable, through your cable television. You got a box and you plugged it in. And Ottawa's actually kind of fairly high tech town because it's the capital of Canada. There's a lot of gov government sort of contracts with big companies like Corel were here and Gandalf and Cognos and all these companies doing all sorts of high tech stuff. So, you know, I, I was a little kid and we were on the internet. It wasn't called the internet, it was called the NABU network, but you know, I think like a couple thousand people in the city had it. But we were doing this stuff, you know, uh, on the internet, and it kind of really made me start really finding an interest in in technology. And then I, my friends were also really interested in this kind of technology. So when rap music started, the first thing I thought was, well, how are they making these beats? They sound really, you know, fresh and 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 where's this electronic music coming from? So I started going down to the music store and I'd get a summer job and I'd start, I'd buy drum machines and keyboards and samplers with my hard-earned, you know, landscaping job cash that I saved up and uh, started making rap beats when I was like 15 years old, 16 years old, in my parents' basement. And like, they weren't the best rap beats in the world, but I was the only kid in... Ottawa basically making rap beats. Maybe there was one other guy actually was pretty good too, but not many people were doing this. So that's when I kind of, re and, I, and we ended up getting a record deal. We sort of started going out and performing. My friend and I from school, we got a record deal with A&M Records. It became a big thing in Canada and, and it was a big success. And here I was at 18 years old and I had a record deal and was performing with all sorts of, you know, concerts and it was it was we were on the radio and i realized that the reason that happened was because like this new technology of sampling was new nobody was doing it yet i was doing it before anyone else and so that's when i kind of learned like if you're the only one doing something you're going to be the best at it and um that's why i like to kind of find the latest camera or the latest microphone or the latest uh, way of shooting video or recording video or streaming podcasts or, 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 or distributing podcasts and try to do it before anyone else. And, 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 and uh, then if, you, if, if, it, if, it, if it works and you're the only one doing it, then you're like the best at something, you know, until everybody else comes along and starts doing it. And then, then some people adapt and find ways to do it better than you, you ever could have done it. But, uh, but you were the best for a minute. <laughs> What do you characterize yourself as like um, highly, cur highly curious? Like what was pulling you into these different areas? Um, because like even, I mean, when I watch your YouTube channel, which by the way, I find, um, I don't know if the right word is like, I find it meditative. Um, a lot of your videos, like yeah. very relaxing. A lot of in a people lot of compare ways. it to that ASM, ASMR. A lot of people compare it to the ASMR stuff. That's yeah. Now, which is that sort of and like one of well, your yeah, videos. See, see, that, so that's like, that's like sort of an example, like of something that I'm doing last year, I went out in, the van, in a van, I traveled around the desert at the beginning of COVID. And, you know, you can't really see really when you watch the videos, you can't really instantly see what's different about it. But what is truly different about that, which I think is not completely unlike what other bloggers are doing and things like that. But 
what's slightly different about it is I, I have this van that has this incredible battery system, high-tech battery system in it called Battleborn Batteries. They're made by this really great company, Dragonfly Energy, and they power this entire recording studio that I built in the van. So I had, you know, this microphone and all this great audio equipment, keyboards and drum machines and all this stuff. I was scoring the soundtrack out there in the desert for the videos. So the soundtracks, when you say meditative, you know, those soundtracks were made in the exact location that the video that you're watching was shot. Uh. And so it, when you're out in the desert by yourself in, you know, BLM, Bureau of Land Management land in, in, in you know, Utah, uh, in, in, in Valley of the Gods, Utah, all alone, and you feel like you're in a John Ford movie, and you get up in the morning and you make a cup of coffee, and you're there with your dog, Charlie, your trusty sidekick, Charlie, and um, who's named after Travels with Charlie, John Steinbeck's Travels with Charlie. Um, and then you start shooting drone videos over these landscapes and start shooting videos with your you know, Sony a7S III camera and you're swapping out lenses and getting all these cinematic shots. And then, you know, you fire up the, the recording studio and you make the soundtrack to the video you just made. And if you're really vibing right, it does kind of become sort of an experience really is what I was trying to do with that. You know, the videos aren't, aren't the, aren't really funny. You know, they're not most hilarious videos that you've ever seen. They're not funny at all, really. They're just kind of more like an experience. But, but what's fun about it is, is I brought my audience along with me on this sort of adventure last year that was really kind of a beautiful thing where I was, you know, bonding with my new puppy who I was two years old and got during this pandemic and we're, we're out there all alone. And, uh, you know, Straight, straight up editing the video then in the van, you know, on Adobe Premiere on my laptop, leaving the camp area, which is in the middle of nowhere. And once you get out to the highway, uploading it to YouTube from my phone through a hotspot. So the whole thing's all happening in real time. And it does become a completely different way of making television or making video where usually, you know, there's no cameraman there. You know, I'm doing my own audio. I, I, I plugging everything in myself. So that was kind of a special thing. And I think those videos are really kind of a special thing. You know, you, like I said, you got to have like, you can't, it's not for short attention span. It's, you know, it's, it's almost like the kind of thing that you want to, you know, if you're somebody that smokes marijuana, I don't know if you've ever done that before, but you know, you sit back and you know might want to smoke a joint, watch it. Maybe it might be more fun to watch that way. Um, or have a beer or something. Uh, yeah, it's relax, like a journey. It's a journey. It's a journey for the viewers yeah. more so than like a transaction, yeah. which I think a lot of content, you know, today feels really transactional. This is much more of like, you're taking people on a journey, which I love. I also just found like, there's a video you have on there of like talking to strangers on the street. And um, I think about that a lot because I, I love talking to random people. It's like probably what I get the most energy from in life is just talking to people and doesn't matter who it is, like you can learn something from anybody. And what struck me about that video, and I would encourage people to watch it because I thought it was awesome. It's, you know, it has humor infused in it because it's like you have some funny conversations with people, but you have this way of um, kind of digging into uh, someone's life and with like very simple uh, and not... Um, 
you know, not like prying questions, but you like follow up very interestingly and quickly on things. And it's, it's clear that like your curiosity kind of comes out as you're just talking to people on the street. Um, so I was, that was why I asked the question of like, do you consider yourself a highly curious person and that's what's driving you to these things? Or are you just interested in the world around you? Like what, what, what is it that kind of motivates you around that? Yeah, well, I mean, interaction with people was always the funniest part of the Tom Green show on MTV and, and, and my early public access show. And I mean, I just find people, you know, bring it when you're talking to a person that you've never met before on camera, there's a spontaneity there that is uh, lends itself to, to humor. People are naturally funny and uh, and then there's sort of an energy too when people are being interviewed on camera, certainly when they're being caught off guard or weren't planning on doing an interview that day and they're walking down the street and all of a sudden they're being interviewed by somebody. There's a nervous energy that is fun there that you can capitalize on, I guess. Um, and it's a lot like stand-up comedy, you know? It's like when you do stand-up comedy and you do crowd work and you're talking to the crowd, there's a nervous energy in the room and then it creates tension, it creates drama. So. So that's what I, I love about interacting with people on the street. And, um, you know, I think I think I probably will be doing a lot more of that in the future. It's, uh, the stuff out in the van last year was me by myself with the dog. But um, but, you know, it was all that was also me just kind of really learning and experimenting with the new cameras and the, the sort of some cinematic techniques with the new these new cameras that are just incredible and, uh, and just sort of figuring out technically how to how to film everything but but uh yeah i know i i love i love talking to people on the street i love uh i love hearing what you're gonna do next because to me that's kind of where things are going yeah and there's a you know a famous tech saying in our world which is um the technology is already here it's just not evenly distributed so i think a lot of what you're saying yeah. which is like meditative sort of longer form video that's going to take off um more interactions with people that's going to take off i remember watching you in the you know 2004 or 2005 time time frame when you were recording a live podcast from your house in 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 los angeles and this was before you know podcasting was a thing and i actually remember hearing yeah uh joe rogan uh, admitting that one of the reasons he got into podcasting is he saw that you were doing it and, and you were curious about it. So could you talk a little bit about your experience in Hollywood, in Los Angeles, uh, starting uh, an internet TV show when there were basically no internet TV shows? Yeah, well, it was, you know, it was 2002 or 2003, 2003 probably when I sort of got the idea to do it because I was, I'd stopped doing the show on MTV and I just thought, you know, well, I remember asking some people, is this technically possible you know, to, to, to get a switcher that I cut multiple cameras live and stream live video on the internet and, and um, just started again, basically asking technical people that I knew what was possible. And, and it was, just possible to start streaming. We actually worked with this company in, out of uh, my my friend Barrett Lyon, who uh, is from San, up in San Francisco at a company called Bit Gravity that he had uh, created a streaming platform. And uh, 
we were now because because this was before YouTube, so we were you know there wasn't live on YouTube, there wasn't even YouTube yet. I don't think it had quite not just maybe it just started or hadn't quite started yet. So we were streaming live to the front page of my website, tomgreen.com, and switching cameras on this thing called a video toaster, which later became a TriCaster, which is a company called NewTek made this TriCaster. My friend Phil Nelson from there showed me that. So I started meeting all these people that are kind of working there. You know, Barrett was this tip of the spear of streaming video, uh, you know, CDNs, content delivery delivery networks, right? And then, and then, and then, uh, you know, TriCaster was this company out of Austin, Texas, or San Antonio, Texas, and they're making these really great switchers that you could run a bunch of video cameras into and cut them live while you're streaming onto the internet. So, you know, it was possible to do it, so we did it, and uh, it was really fun, and it, it was really crazy because it was the only live talk show on the internet and people were we could people could phone in and I had a phone on the desk that would just ring and I would answer it and you know we would take calls then we hook up Skype we hook up three Skype computers we ran them into the TriCaster so we were taking video calls um, and it was just like nobody had ever seen anything like it and it was really really fun really really crazy um, we had a lot of viewers a lot of viewers millions and millions of people were watching it's totally not monetized. It's trying to figure out how to get an advertiser. Nobody knew anything about buying an advertiser on an internet show, um, you know. Um, and uh, it was it was interesting. But the thing that was really kind of cool about it was, you know, I was in in Los Angeles in the comedy community. I invited all my friends and also all people that I was fans of up to my house, and like almost everybody came. You know, so all of a sudden I'm hanging out with Norm McDonald and Joe Rogan and, 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 you know, Bob Saget, rest in peace, Norm and Rob, uh, Norm and Bob, who became good friends of mine. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, that's just, we sadly both passed away this year, but I mean, about, we had hours and hours of shows with, with both of them and so many others. I mean, literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people would come do the show. And, um, you know, I'm not saying that's where they got the idea to do a podcast, but it was interesting that like pretty much most of my regular guests sort of would come up. I, I You'd see it every time. They'd walk in, they'd see the lights on the ceiling, you'd see the cameras, and you'd see them go, oh, shit, I don't need to deal with all this bullshit anymore, you know? Or, you know, I'm trying to sell my TV show to somebody, and they're not going to let me do what I actually want to do. And all I need to do is get like, cameras and a couple microphones and just do my own show right and uh, sure enough like so many of them are still currently doing their own show podcasts and things like this so so it was pretty cool yeah it was... i think that was kind of what that sh that show in, in many ways more than the technology is really where it may have influenced podcasting because everybody who would ever want to do a podcast in the comedy community all at once all got to see whole setup you know and uh it was, it was it was pretty cool it was first of its kind and like i remember watching you know seeing some of these folks come to your house and being yeah, like and not to like not that i'm, I'm not I'm, I'm not i'm by the way i'm not by any ways saying you got the idea from me or whatever i'm saying it's totally. just interesting because i mean you know adam carolla who's got one of the biggest podcasts in the world he came up all the time uh steve-o right he's got a great podcast now in his van 
uh, Dr. Drew came all the time, podcasting all the time, you know, like all, all these people that were, were, Norm went on to do an incredible internet show. Um, and so, but it was kind of like, you know, it was just, it was, it was all happening at once, right? But this just happened to be a place that people could actually go and touch it and feel it and taste it and actually do it, right? So then, uh, and then it became sort of an obvious next step. If somebody wanted to do that, they would go set up their own studio at home, so. Totally. Yeah. It felt, I remember, you know, watching and just being like, wow, like you can do this with the internet. You can have high quality guests and interview people and you can have people call in. Um, I remember, you know, once, you know, uh, I, I, I think the thing that, I think the thing that was, uh, yeah, sorry, I think the thing that was a, the thing that I thought was even more than the technology that I thought was really maybe the thing that people hadn't done before was two comedians just talking to each other. As opposed to, you know, it being sort of one guy is the television host and then they have guests coming all the time. Instead, it's just two comedians talking to each other, you know, and uh, that's sort of what the show was, you know, and yeah, doing it's... irreverent things like taking phone calls. And we also had the Internet running through so we could watch the Internet and fuck around and talk about the Internet, have beers and all of this stuff. Two comedians talking to people putting on a performance in the sort of in the guise of it being an interview like we're playing talk show here but it's not really a talk show it's just me talking to steve-o or me talking to dr drew or me talking to norm mcdonald and we're sitting at a talk show desk sure but uh really we're just goofing around you know yeah it felt like you know a lot of shows you watch it's it feels very much like the people on the show are um you know talking you know to you or at you versus two, you know, two people talking with each other and you're just kind of a fly on the wall. It felt, it felt very much like we were just hanging out, you know, the viewer, at least we were just kind of hanging out with, you know, you guys, you know, it felt like I, it was me, Norm MacDonald and Tom Green kind of all hanging out, even though I was just behind a computer screen. I think sometimes like, I don't really think it gets credited as being the first podcast because we didn't call it a podcast because mm. that name hadn't really been invented yet. But the other thing is, is, you know, podcasting really became more like radio streaming to the internet. And I was trying to stream television to the internet. So one of the subtle differences, which I still to this day, am somewhat kind of a little bit baffled that this didn't stick or that this people aren't still doing this. Everyone's wearing headphones doing these podcasts and talking into radio microphones that are on stands, right? That's right. This is a radio thing we're doing right now, which doesn't really lend itself to the visual medium, you know, cause this is blocking your head. This is blocking your face. Right. So, you know, we, but it's a little extra technical step involved in order to do television. You know, you have to have wireless microphones, you know, so it's, it's like about as complicated or less complicated than plugging this in, but it seems more complicated. And, but it's interesting, you can really see how things do get replicated. People see, you know, like everyone's doing the microphone, the headphone thing now. So it sort of becomes the format. But, you know, I, I think WebOvision, which is what we called it. We didn't call it a podcast. We called it WebOvision, but it was a podcast. Um, was me trying to make a, a guerrilla sort of version of David Letterman show in the house. So we were thinking visually. You know, we didn't want... We didn't want to have headsets on. We wanted to be able to get up and move. You know, we didn't we want to have wireless mics. We didn't want to be stuck sitting in front of a mic. You know, we'd get up and go, you know, 
have a drink in the kitchen or the camera would follow us. You know, there was, there was a little bit more of a TV uh, visual element to it. Did you find it fun? Like, did you find the, um, the Hollywood, you know, the kind of hustle and bustle of like, you know, big entertainment business. Did you find it fun and fulfilling, um, at the time? I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I did. Yeah. I mean, I did. I, I, I feel like, uh, I feel like, like I just left Los Angeles after 20 years, I've moved to the country. So I'm living out on a, a, a farm here, you know, in, in the wilderness, I've got wolves up here. It's, it's, a, it's an, it's an incredible change. Right. Um, and I think we're living in a new world now where you can be anywhere physically and not have to actually live in Los Angeles. You know, if I want to, I want to try to sell a TV show or an idea. I don't have to get in my car and, and drive in rush hour to Santa Monica to have a meeting in a boardroom with, uh, you know, five television executives. You know, we could just have a Zoom call from wherever we are in the world. That's a lot of that's really changed during COVID. That's when it's sort of a light bulb went off for me, sort of a huge a huge confluence of things happened for me, a convergence of things happened at once, which I don't know if confluence is the right word. I'm not sure if that's the right word. But I'll give it to you. Happened at once. A bunch of things happened at once uh, that made me think, you know, I don't think I have to live in Los Angeles anymore. You know, and my, you know, my family's up here. My parents are getting older. I want to spend time with them. I want to spend time with my brother and my friends up here. Um, um, I was COVID happened. And all of a sudden I didn't leave my house for a year, but I was still, doing business and meetings on zoom calls every day. I'm like, wait, I could be anywhere right now. I don't have to be in Los Angeles right now. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and then when you talk about authenticity, uh, I mean, I started to think, you know, I think it's probably better if I'm going to be doing, uh, videos and television and social media and shows and things like that, that I continue to do here. I you'd probably be better off to be where you actually want to live right? Where you authentically want to be. I'm not in Los Angeles because I have to be, and this is where the business is, but I actually would rather be living out in the woods, you know, and, and, and working on the farm. And, and I like to taking photography, doing photography of, you know, you know, animals and nature and, and, and just being close to my family and stuff. So I feel so much better here. So that's kind of, I think that's kind of honestly, I think is really where things will probably go next is people are going to realize, okay, do what you want to do in life, build a life that you really authentically love and want to do. And if you want to be somebody that's making television or making comedy, you know, document it in a funny way or do it in a funny way, but do it from an authentic place. You know, you don't have to be in Los Angeles just because that's where they shot you know, Gilligan's Island and, and Seinfeld and I Love Lucy, you know, we don't have to be there anymore. You know, go go where you are, where you're really from. Because that's what people want to see. People want to see people doing real stuff. They want to see people trying to be something else that they're not, right? I'm not a Hollywood guy. I lived there for 20 years. I had fun there. I learned so much there. You know, I got to go do stand-up comedy every night down at the comedy store and theme club and the Laugh Factory and all these great comedy clubs and surround myself with so many amazing, you know, brilliant people. And so I got to do that for 20 years and I, I, I learned so much doing that, but I just kind of, uh, I just don't think I want to spend the next 20 years there, you know? So. Do you I'm think, uh, I want to enjoy my old age. 
do you do you think if you're you know an up and coming comic, do you think it makes sense to almost do like a college degree, you know, three four years in Los Angeles to sort of learn as much as you can and then go back to where wherever makes you happy, or would you? Yeah, what, what are your thoughts there? Well, see, I think you can move there too early too. Like I, I didn't move there as a struggling comic. I started the Tom Green Show on public access in Canada and developed here in the comfort of being in a small town without the intimidation. I say a small town, there's a million people in Ottawa, but it wasn't a, it's not a show business town, right? So I wasn't surrounded by all these other people trying to do it, which gives you a certain uh, amount of confidence, right? Because you feel like you can experiment a little bit more. So I always tell people when they ask me, questions like this i'd say when well, i don't think you should just move to los angeles i think you should should try to do especially today you know try to try to develop your craft whatever it is where you are where you got your support system around you and you know you may never have to go there you know anymore you know you may never have to go there anymore. It's, this is kind of similar like to the um you know, you know, Mr. Beast. Um, yeah, I, I assume everyone kind of knows him at this point. Yeah. But, you know, very yeah, famous. Yeah. Although I, I, know, he's 20, I, I 23 year old. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. But he, I, um, I, I only really found out about him late in the in the in the game. But I watched his Joe Rogan episode and was very, very uh, uh, amazed by him. Yeah. But he kind of has a similar, you know, story. Like, I think he still lives in Greenville, North Carolina, where he's from. And he like bought a warehouse that he basically does all of his stuff out of, um, you know, in Greenville. Like he's kind of um, turned down the idea of like being in LA and being in the scene. He's like, I'm a small town kid. I'm going to stay here and, you know, uh, you know, hire friends and like work with people I like and sort of be in that atmosphere. And if I need to go to LA for some like reason, then I can do that. But he's kind of opted out in the same way that I think, you know, you did in those early years. I mean, I think that speaks to the savviness of our audience now, especially in these, you know, not to open up a can of worms here, but in these very politically divided times, uh, you know, where people maybe, you know, have started to voice their displeasure with the, you know, the inauthenticity of, of, of Hollywood and of celebrities. And there is a little bit of a divide now, especially in the United States. So, so, you know, people can, you know, can tell when somebody is, you know, making their videos in LA, even, even as, even as like a, a, a you know, if you watch on social media, you watch on TikTok, they've got TikTok houses, you know, and kids from all over the country move to LA so they can make videos in LA. So it looks like they're in LA, right? But at the end of the day, that's going to have diminishing returns because, you know, how many times do you need to see a palm tree uh, before you stop being impressed by it right um you know maybe it's more impressive to see somebody doing something very unique to their part of the world that's very real very honest you know there's so many unique things here to this part of the world that i can go and film right now i could go and catch a largemouth bass you know you're not going to catch a largemouth bass on uh on on uh you know, on La Cienega right? Boulevard. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it's kind of you know, and that's unique to me. I grew up catching largemouth bass. I know, I know. Yeah, I want to use a you know a Rapala or a jitterbug uh, floating lure. You know, you got to get them under that log. Yeah, just just under the log, and just just after sunset or just before sunset. You know, you know, and there's all these little details 
And those little details are the things that make up the story that people find interesting to watch and, and, and they learn something from. So, so the, you know, you know, that was my favorite million, part of your million. most recent video, by the way, mm -hmm. on the uh, the farm or the uh, the you know like the farm life where you were um, you were naming off all the different types of fish that yeah. could have been in that pond yeah. and your knowledge of the different types of fish. Like I, I grew up fishing on a lake as yeah. well, actually in, in Connecticut, yeah. and um, a lot of freshwater fish. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. Uh, it kind of reminded me, it, yeah. it had a little bit of like uh, Bubba Gump uh, vibes from, from, from the Forrest yeah. Gump movie where he names all the different types of shrimp that he, right. uh, yeah, that he can yeah, make. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, mean, I can name like largemouth bass, smallmouth bass, perch, sunfish, northern pike, walleye, some say pickerel, uh, lake trout, speckled trout, um, you know, go on and on. There's crappy, there's... There's mud pout. There's there's all sorts of fish. Yeah, lots of I love fish. it. I like I lo did, did you ever experience yeah. burnout? This is like something I'm just fascinated by with, you know, high performers and people who have kind of like gone from fast paced culture and, and kind of adapted to like slower living. Um, did you ever feel burnout and did you, um, did you wrestle with it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, Honestly, like I, I think that happens like internally in your in your head as opposed to that doesn't really I mean I I push myself now, even though I'm living in the country, I get up in the morning and I got stuff I'm trying to do, you know. You know, I'm trying to actually still create things. And as I've gotten older, I've learned how to manage that um that anxiety and that kind of that that pressure, right? Um and uh I think uh, you know. When you're younger, uh, certainly with, in my case, when I was younger, I was, I was under a lot of pressure because, you know, I didn't know what I would possibly do in my life if this there didn't work out. You know, I knew I wasn't cut out to work in an office or to have, to have a boss and all of this stuff because I was just really, you know, had a tough time with, with the idea of like doing the repetitive tasks and being, you know, yelled at by somebody, right? So I just knew that that was not going to work for me. So it was kind of like a, a life and death kind of thing, you know, like I got to make this comedy thing work or like, mm. I'm, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Right. So when you're in your twenties, that's, that's a really scary, terrifying thing, especially before you've had anything happen. And then once you get some success, then you want to make sure that you are able to manage it so that you don't screw it up, you know, which, you know, I've had, you know, various degrees of success at that, you know, but at least, you know, keep it going. Right. And, um, but now that I'm older, you know, it's not as, there's not as much pressure because, you know, I'm 51 years, I turned 51 years old in uh, January 30th, 1951, 50 years old now. And I realized like, there's just really so much left, less of my life left to ruin, you know, like I can't really, I, 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 I basically, I'm basically like if I really screwed it all up right now, like I could still probably kind of coast to, you know, and have a pretty comfortable death. You know, it would be, it would be, it, you know, you know, well, maybe I got 20, 25 years if I'm lucky, I'll be fine. You know, but when you're 20, you know, a lot of living you got to do ahead, ahead of you that you got to be careful that you don't screw up. So, so I do feel that it's easier to kind of like, kind of, calm the nerves a little bit as you get older you also kind of learn how to understand uh your own uh personal 
self more as you get older so that I know when I get anxious, if I take a walk or if I feel depressed, you know, maybe I drank a few too many beers last night, you know, maybe I'm going to you know, not have a drink for a few days, and I'll get some exercise. And, uh, I know, I know living out in nature has been hugely helpful for me in that department too, because I find personally, when you walk in nature, if you walk in a forest, um, I can't explain it scientifically. I, you know, I, I'm, I've, not really researched this. I've read little bits about it. I can't, not enough to remember it and repeat it, but I do feel that you kick into sort of a, a natural sort of, uh, you know, you know, animalistic kind of place where, you know, just you, your senses go into a different place and you become very more focused on, on the moment, you know, when you're walking through nature and you hear the sounds of nature, smell the smells of nature, walking through the forest, looking you know, you're even on a little heightened state of alert, you know, there's bears out there, you know, so you're kind of in a survival mode, right? And that takes you out of the anxiety of worrying about the future or the the sadness and of, of regretting and thinking about things in the past, you know, you're not thinking about the future or the past, you're thinking about what's going on right now at this moment, you know, the trees, the wind, the smells, you know, and uh, the beauty of it, right? The beauty of it is all around you. And it's really, it's a distraction, right? So, I find it so much easier to, to stay positive and uh, also continue to work and do things when I live in a place like this where I can step out my front door and uh, not be, uh, be uh, you know, when you walk down the street in the city, sometimes you're kind of just kind of still want to ignore all that noise in the cars and stuff and you're still in your head thinking about all the things you got to do that day or all the things you didn't get done yesterday. Yeah, I think... Uh... You know, I'm out in nature right now, and I was talking to a 92-year-old man yesterday uh, who lives down the street. And Greg loves talking to old men. It's... By the way, this is like a this is one of Greg's hobbies. Yeah. In all seriousness, this is one of Greg's Greg big so, things. Is that, that why you're talking to me? Is, is that what you're, uh, uh, you're, you're not quite 90. But, and by the way, you're not you're going to live way longer than 20, 25 years. Especially being out in the country. I hope so. I hope yeah, so. laughing makes you live I longer, like man. Think, I like to think so. I do like to think that the relaxed uh, lifestyle will, will, will be helpful. A hundred percent. Yeah. So I, I was chatting with this man and, and, and he was like, we were talking about being overwhelmed. And he was, I told him that I, I used to, you know, briefly lived in New York City. And he was like, people in New York City are overwhelmed by the city. I'm overwhelmed by nature. And I thought that was a really beautiful right, way right. of putting it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a much more uh, beautiful, positive thing to be overwhelmed by. It's, 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 it's your minds all the, like I said, all your senses are firing, but they're focusing on something that's beautiful and not something that's uh, stressful, like, you know, jackhammers and, and uh, ambulance sirens and uh, smells of, you know, burning garbage. And it's yeah, weird, right? Like just, it's weird. Like, you, sorry, sorry, sorry. I, I, I saw this morning that the average rent price in New York City for the first time passed $5,000 a month. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it's kind of weird how it's $5,000 a month to live in New York City. Meanwhile, like, you know, a kilometer away from where I am, it's 500 bucks a month to get a, to get a beautiful spot in nature. 
Canadian. By the way, $5,000 a month to live in New York City. I just found out this fun fact. Uh, Guess how much it costs to be buried in New York City. So how much does it cost to die in New York City? Give me a guess. I don't know, 20 grand. I'm what? My plus? Higher. $55,000 is the average amount that it costs to be buried in New York City. Um, so go. Yeah. For, I mean, it's yeah. completely insane. Why would like, you want to be buried in New York City? Just a honestly serious question. I don't know. I yeah. just like if you were, I don't know if you're from there, it's like maybe like premium burial spots. I don't know. There's just not enough space, like not enough cemeteries and stuff there. I do think it's just like figuring out which um, baseline setting creates energy for your life. Cause I know people who are like, I feel, um, like they can't handle solitude, right? Like I, I personally, I think I buy into that quote. That's like, you know, all of man's problems uh, would be solved by like, you know, be, being able to actually like handle solitude. I didn't need to go look up what the exact quote is. Um, but it's something to that effect where like we have lost as a society, the ability to experience and to embrace solitude and silence. And so a lot of people, you fill that void by just having chaos around you and that there's just loudness in your mind all the time. And that's comforting for a lot of people because the silence is scary. Um, and I think once you learn to embrace solitude, I think people very rarely go back. Um, at that point, then it's like, you know, I live in the suburbs, right, Greg, like, you know, this, I live outside New York city. I love having silence six days a week. And when I want a little chaos, I can go get in a car and in 25 or 30 minutes have chaos and like, you know, refresh my like chaos engines in whatever way that I want to, and then come back to the silence. Um, but that ability to actually experience and like flex your solitude muscle more regularly, I think is such a massive unlock for your happiness and fulfillment in life. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. And, uh, I think it's also like when you're alone, um, you, your mind has time to think of ideas that you might not have thought of otherwise because you're you know you've got some you've got a vacuum of, of time to fill right so you're 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 not distracted by all of these this sort of day-to-day sort of you know necessities of of just getting from point a to point b you know maybe maybe if you're alone and you are just have a little bit of space to breathe you you might start to think i mean that's kind of the, the intention. I, I continue to do stand-up comedy, and I, I stopped for uh, a year or so during COVID. But I'm just starting up again my touring. So, you know, I'm gonna I go off to this. I'm gonna be going off to the cities and doing stand-up, and I'll be I'll be I'll be going to L.A. and New York. I'll be going to. You know, I'm gonna come see you do a stand-up in New York Francisco for sure. And I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll go. I'll be I'll be going everywhere next year, and, and the year after that, and the year after that, and I'll go out. You know. Maybe I'll go for two or three weekends a month. Maybe I will take a month off now and then, but I'll go out when I feel like doing it. And, uh, but then when I come back home, I'll be in this sort of nice quiet place where I can think and write and, uh, and breathe and relax and uh, enjoy. What's your, what's your vision for yourself and the farm? Call it in five years. So, you know, it's January, you know, January 1st, uh, you know, 2027. Um, where do you want to be well it's funny because like there is a version of what i i want to do here which sounds sort of a lot like what i was doing in 2003 to be honest with you you know it's like and it also sounds a lot like what i was doing in 1994 you know i i do uh you know i do have a podcast it's called the tom green podcast uh uh you know it's, it's the name we came up came up with 
but um, um, and uh, I haven't I I've been doing it. Uh, I was doing it earlier last year. I took a little time off, and I'm going to be redoing the studio out here. I actually have a barn here, two barns here, two hundred year old barns that are really really cool, uh, you know, structures, and uh, I'm going to be uh, setting up a little hangout spot in there to uh, in the loft of one of the barns to do some uh, podcasting and some streaming and and uh, sort of enjoying uh, interviewing some of my friends here in the area who are outdoors uh, enthusiasts and farmers and fishermen and hunters and gardeners and and uh, computer experts and uh, videographers and 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 actors and all sorts of people up here in Canada interesting people who will popping by and so I'm you know going to be continuing to sort of enjoy living here and uh making it my creative hub I guess and and uh doing my my films and my television shows and my podcasts and uh and enjoying 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 the nature well I'm excited for your podcast man I'm looking forward to uh to seeing you kind of come back into that world and uh, we'll personally be watching to uh, to see how you're innovating because, as Greg said earlier on, I do feel like uh, you've consistently been out in front of um, you know and really creating and crafting what the future of creative work looks like. So I'm super excited to to see that. I'm also yeah, going to have to buy tickets for your New York show. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. Yeah, if you go on my YouTube channel, like you can if you just if, if anyone watching, if, you know, if you're uh, if you're inclined to to go check it out, you can watch those band videos we talked about. But it, as you scroll back, you know, uh, depending how deep of a dive you want to take, you're basically seeing my life basically in in reverse uh, unfolding uh, before your eyes, and and so uh, you know it's you know and. You know, my podcast is on there. It's funny, at the beginning of uh, the pandemic, I, I, I built a studio in my house in Los Angeles. I was doing my podcast there and people were calling in similar to how we're doing now. And, uh, you know, I had all sorts of great interviews with friends of mine and, uh, and, um, and uh, you know, it was sort of just in the, it, right at that time when I decided that I was going to move. But, you know, it's, it's kind of been, then all of a sudden it was in a van. You know, and now, now I'm up here. So it's, 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 it's kind of a neat little uh, a little rewind you can do on there, and you can see all these different sort of uh, experimental sort of things that I've been doing. So, so uh, it's it's YouTube.com slash Tom cool. Green, I think, Tom right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You so, also, yeah, I, I would recommend people. Tom Green. Yeah. I would recommend people Google you as well. I and mean, there's just like a lot of cool stuff in your background. The other thing that's hilarious about Googling you, Tom, by the way, which I mentioned to Greg when I was doing research, um, you know, in advance of chatting, when you search Tom Green on Google, the first one is you. It's a Wikipedia page, your Wikipedia page. The second one is Tom Green polygamist. And it is a American Mormon fundamentalist <laughs> from Utah <laughs> who is a practitioner of plural marriage. So I got a real kick out of that when I was going through. But anyway, man, I mean, seriously, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm super excited to uh, to continue to follow along and see all the cool stuff you're going to be up to in the coming years and excited to uh, to bring my wife out for your comedy show too because we're both big fans. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I appreciate it. No, thanks for having me on. I can't wait to uh, to uh, tweet this out to everybody. And and uh, it's, it's, I'm on Twitter. I'm on TikTok too. Go follow me there, everybody. Instagram, you know, I'm on all the spots. So Yeah, your latest... Your latest Instagram post, I think, was a a brick of cheese. I think that was it was basically just some cheese. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I posted one since then, uh, about uh, right before we went on the air, I posted, I was out uh, with my chainsaw this morning, um, so, uh, cutting some uh, lumber up. Actually. So, if, so if you want some, some cheese and some, some chainsaw images, mm -hmm. meditative stuff, you need to follow Tom Green on YouTube, on Instagram, on Twitter, on TikTok. He's a uh, refreshing, refreshing content in your feed. I promise that. Yeah, that Completely cheese, agree. by the way, was an AI uh, was an AI uh, drawing that was created by when I wrote the word cheese into that. Uh, uh, what's it called? The Dally. Dally. Yeah, yeah. I you wrote know, the word cheese. I wrote the word cheese into Dally, and then I posted it, and then I said cheese. You know what's the BS thing about Dally? And we were actually Sahil and I were just talking about this before, mm -hmm. which is when you put something into Dally. Dally owns the rights to that content. Mm, yeah, that is BS. Because because a lot of times you would think that the you know the word choice is really the creative. Because uh, you know. I wrote I wrote I wrote comedy yesterday, and into Dally, and uh, and it's supposed to it's supposed right before the cheese, and it mm. drew this Picasso like drawing of a face in front of a microphone. It looks like this beautiful artistic thing, right? But I, I feel like it might have done that because it was confused by the word comedy and it didn't know how to draw comedy. Because, um, you know, if you write cheese, it's going to draw cheese, right? That's a pretty easy assumption to make. But comedy, how do you draw comedy? And it did this really interesting sort of almost like impressionistic Picasso type painting of a, looks like a figure at a microphone. Hmm. And uh, then I posted it on my Instagram and said, comedy and then of course everybody's saying wow that's such great art you're such a great artist you know and of course i did not tell anybody that it was an ai computer that did it but i'm telling them now so that's fine i had this idea that i thought it would be funny to go on and do an ai post every day for a week yeah there we go yeah show everybody that works hold that up we got uh here's the picture if you're on youtube and you're watching this this is uh the picture yeah. the picasso and here's that's, the that's what it wrote the brick of cheese there's the brick of cheese absolutely yeah Delicious cheese. The internet. We love it. Tom Green, we love you. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate you. Yeah, man. Thanks, guys. Thank you, man. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you have any questions that you want featured in a future episode, email us at hi at trwih.com. Leave us a review at Apple or Spotify to help us grow the reach of this podcast. Until next time, we will see you soon. Sip a cup of tea, never let the world be broken in the